Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders to help them create and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Stewardship Leader. I'm your host, Leo Sabo. And on this episode, I have the pleasure of having Carl Tierney with me. He's from Vision 2. Carl, say hi to everybody. Hey, everybody. How are you doing? So glad to have you on. Talking about economic uncertainty and its impact on church giving. This is something that you and I talk about quite a bit, uh, giving and how to help church leaders understand how to communicate on giving, how to communicate really overall stewardship and generosity. This is something we're both very passionate about. So Carl, let's just dive right in. There's a lot of things I want to talk about today. And let's just start with the first question. What is the impact of economic uncertainty on generosity? And how do you think it's affecting the church today? Well, I think it, you know, it really, the key word is uncertainty, right? And so if you look at what's on the news and uh, what's going on in terms of some talks about recession, you know, the inflation that we've already all experienced uh, at unprecedented rates, people start kind of adjusting their financial choices because they get a little bit more conservative. And they also spend a lot more time scrutinizing where they're actually going to uh, put their resources. They get a lot more focused in some ways on the aspect of stewardship. I think the biggest driver of that choice for our members is that they are working with fewer resources than they typically have um, because of inflation. If we think about it, you know, we've, we've experienced almost double digit inflation here over the last year. And then they're, you know, they're all still trying to think about it's not that generosity has stopped because we have seen that in the overall philanthropic numbers in which people are still very generous. They're just being a lot more kind of careful about and thoughtful about where they're actually placing those resources or where they're actually giving to. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, part of that challenge is that people start making uh, comparisons and kind of start doing trade-offs of where is it that I can do the most good with the limited resources that I have, right? So I have a certain amount of resources. I can see people experiencing, you know, challenges. And so then based on that, they start thinking about, well, what am I going to give to? Am I going to help, you know, the family that needs to be fed? Or am I going to, you know, help uh, these folks that are struggling with recovery? Am I going to help folks to feel, you know, deal with this unprecedented heat wave we've just experienced? Or am I going to give to my church's general fund? And I think that's the decision that people are wrestling with. And given the choices of a lot of different institutions to support, I think part of the challenge is they're trying to figure out where do I actually place that? So, If we look at kind of what the trend has been from 2016 to 2022, we can actually see that the trend of where people are giving to uh, has increased to religious organizations. At the same time, it's decreased to their actual church. It's not that in some ways millennials attendance are up, but their giving to churches is down while their giving to religious organizations is up. And I think I think a lot of these stats kind of represent that decision about that stewardship decision. I think people are making based on kind of the limited information that they currently get presented about where they think they can make the most good. It doesn't necessarily mean that's where the most good can be done. It's just that based on the information they have and they're making that decision. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think there is definitely uh, economic reasons why people give. But like you said, some of the stats that we've been looking at for years now tell us that people are giving less to the church or, yeah, mainly to the church. I mean, the church giving is going down, although religious giving is going up. So the best that we can tell is they're giving to other nonprofit causes uh, outside the church. And that's not a bad thing. People giving is a good thing. However, the church, you know, supporting the churches are an important thing as far as the spreading of the gospel. So um, there may be a lack of trust both in God, but also a lack of trust in the church. And that's something that I think each individual pastor, church uh, staff needs to really consider. This is why when we talk about stewardship and generosity, it's not with the purpose of convincing people to give more. It's not that at all. It's to help people have a heart for God and then let God direct their giving. And God will tell them where to give and they'll be, you know, they'll be on track when they listen to God's voice. So why don't people think the church is the place where most good can be done, though? Because that, that's an important distinction. If they're giving less to the church, what is it about that behavior that tells us, hey, maybe they think the church isn't the place that can do most good? I think a lot of it has to do with the way that we talk about generosity. And it's not that we shouldn't, right? Because part of teaching people about generosity and generosity within the church is to teach them about, you know, what God's expectations are for us in terms of kind of supporting our church. But the other side of it is, is that, you know, for the pieces that they're discretionarily saying, this is where I can do the most good. In some cases, the church doesn't actually talk about the things that they're already doing. They're very similar to the organizations they may be giving to. You know, I know a lot of churches actually have benevolence funds. They do uh, food drives. They'll help to, you know, they run recovery programs. You know, they're helping people all the time. But we have a tendency not to talk about those things as we're um, talking about generosity with the church, because it's just not something that we've ever kind of felt comfortable in talking about all of the good that actually happens in the church. In some ways, I actually feel that the church sometimes is afraid of of feeling like they're bragging about the things that they do, where in some ways it's really more about sometimes our members don't actually know the things we do Mm -hmm. Um, and communicating about, you know, what is the good that the local church does is just as important as talking about the the biblical principles of why we give to our church. It's both. It's not one or the other. Because I think the challenge is people will literally come down and start thinking about it. Well, the church seems to be able to pay its bills, but this family had, it, you know, is really struggling to kind of get food on the table. And so it immediately becomes, well, then I need to find a religious organization that's working on food security instead of saying, hey, wait a minute, maybe my local church is actually already working on that. And if I give there, then not only can I make sure that those resources actually get distributed within my own community, which is fantastic. It's one of the best things about the local church, but I've also actually also achieved what I felt was the most good. Um, But if we don't tell them we're doing those things, they can't actually engage with us and think about us in that fashion. Yeah. It's just amazing to me that we, the church does a lot of good, but yet they don't talk about it, which in a way I understand the perspective of, Hey, don't, we don't want to, say, everyone we've met with, the counseling we've done. Of course, you want to keep that in confidence, but people need to understand that it's not just a weekend service for you know a couple hours a weekend. That's all right. that's going on. There's a lot going on, and there's a way to communicate that. It's a shame that we assume people just kind of know that the staff's busy doing stuff. No, we don't. We're not 
in your shoes. We're not up there with you at the office figuring out what's happening every day. So it's really important that we let people know what as church leaders we are doing. So uh, one of a state a survey here that was done is fundera.com, F-U-N-D-E-R-A.com study reported that 17.2 billion in crowdfunding is generated annually in North America. And millennials are the most likely demographic to participate in crowdfunding campaigns. So why does this generation prefer fundraising like GoFundMe over giving to established organizations? First of all, I think default by default, the younger generations don't trust organizations the same way that uh, you know uh, our generation does. And to a degree, because they have seen so many organizations not living up to their values, they're a little hesitant to donate to organizations and you know uh, by default have a little bit of a distrust. And I think the, I mean, one of the other aspects I think that's really kind of great about the GoFundMe model is, is, is one, it's very quick and easy to give, um, where on some other, in some other cases, it's uh, kind of, there's some friction involved in actually the giving experience. So, you know, and, and I think lastly, or third, I shouldn't say lastly, but one of the other most important things, or what I, one of the things that I think is most important about GoFundMe is, is that it's very clear about the impact you're going to have. There's no there's no distraction of like, well, will this feed this family or will I help this family directly? It's very clear the funds are going straight to that family. Mm -hmm. And I think that particular piece of being able to say, hey, wait a minute, I know that if I give here, it's going to where I want it to go to is is very important to them because they that makes them feel, hey, wait a minute, I don't have to worry about like, is this, is my generosity going to go help people in need? The answer is yes. And I think sometimes, you know, I think, and that gets back to kind of communicating the impact that the church has. It's very unclear that if I give to the church or I give to certain designations within the church, that my funds are going to go to the things that I really actually want to have an impact on. Um, and, and, and by the way, that, you know, I, I, um, just to kind of uh, give you an idea of like, because I think sometimes we think millennials don't give to faith-based organizations. There has been a 406% increase in millennials giving to religious organizations. So their giving to religious organizations went up 406% while it went down to their local church. So mm-hmm. they, you know, they're actually coming back into church. They're re-engaging from an attendance perspective, but their generosity has not yet followed. And I think one of the challenges that that, that puts on us as church leaders or you know, those of us that are supporting church leaders, we have to think about how do we engage them differently so that they reconsider whether or not the church is a good place to, you know, to send you know, their, the charitable dollars that they're already investing and other faith-based organizations. I mean, they're doing it. It's not, it's not a lack of faith. It's, it's, I think for us, it's a lack of kind of communicating and connecting with them on the things that matter most to them. Um, and that's, I think, one of our challenges. Yeah, I agree. I mean, impact is very important to millennials. They want to see that their dollars are actually going to accomplish something, not just going to avoid. And I think that should be something that we all care about. Like I care about when I give to my church or uh, to other nonprofits, I care about the impact. I hope the impact is going to be as it's described to me when I think about that decision. I remember I came across uh, Chariot of Water years ago, and you and I have talked about them before, but they have such a clear message 
on giving. I remember, I think I, I heard about them from a blog that I was reading from someone I was following back a few years ago. And I never heard about them, uh, but I clicked on the link. I literally went to their homepage. And within a few minutes, I understood completely their mission, what they were doing. I knew how much my gift, if I made a $50 gift, $100 gift, I knew exactly how much that was going to contribute to to provide water to how many people. And, and I did. I, I made a gift. And I had not gone to make a gift. I was compelled to make a gift because I saw the impact I was going to have. And I think that's something that all of us are stirred to do when we are communicated to the degree where we understand the impact. So it's so important that churches really look at nonprofits, some of the ones that we mentioned and others, to, to really understand how they're communicating. Because the same old way of doing it is just not working. And like you said, uh, millennials are coming, you know, they're growing in the church. They're coming back to church, so to speak, because most of them are now in their 30s. They're they're getting married uh, or have gotten married. Now they're having children. And it's that time. You know, I want to raise my yeah. kids in church. They're all coming back in droves. And they are generous people. We've known that about them for many, many years. But they want to see impact. And churches need to do a better job. So how could we increase our membership perception, talking about churches' membership perception, that their giving can have an impact similar to nonprofits and other religious organizations that they're increasing their giving to? You know, it's uh, not only do we need to talk about it from the pulpit, um, not only do we need to talk about it from a digital perspective, but one of the things I think that we often overlook, and it's one of the easiest ways for people to begin to develop a little bit more trust with the church itself is through volunteering. Um, one of the interesting studies that I saw a couple of years ago actually said that volunteers are two more, two times more likely or 200% more likely to give to the organizations they volunteer with than those that don't volunteer. So one of the easiest ways to begin, not only, I mean, it doesn't mean that we don't have to talk about it from the pulpit. It doesn't mean we don't have to talk about it digitally. We don't, and, and we don't have to have a communication strategy about it, but volunteering is also one of those great outreach tools that does two things. One is it connects me with the fact that the church actually is making an impact for the things that I'm really passionate about. Mm -hmm. And two is it starts to build that trust that, hey, wait a minute, you know, these people are actually doing the thing that I really care about. Um, so what, sometimes actually creating those volunteer opportunities for people to get um, connected with the church's impacts in the community or within the church body itself is a great way to kind of collect, connect people and make them feel like that they can have an impact and also that the church is already having an impact. Um, I think the other thing we also have to do is find um, and give them some specific impacts that they can make, you know, something that's specific that they feel that they can connect with. Um, sometimes the general fund is a little bit too general in its nature. And so it doesn't feel as specific. So, and I know that there's some that say, well, if I give them too many fund options, they're going to, you know, only give to that. And that actually is the beginning of generosity within the church. It's a stepping stone. It's something we can steward them from, but if we don't get them giving at all, they're going to give somewhere else. And they're just going to assume that the church is going to figure out some way to pay its bills. And that's the way they're going to treat it. Um, and that's not what we want. So we want an opportunity to actually engage them in a longer kind of stewardship and discipleship conversation, but we have to get them started somewhere. And sometimes by giving people an opportunity to give the things that they're most passionate about is a great way for them to connect to. And if we can tie that with something that they can volunteer to participate in, even better. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing that we often miss out on as well is not only is it important to talk about 
the impact that the church can have before the gift is made. But we have to talk about the impact that that generosity of the church membership has had already. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that we also fail to is not only in the way that we acknowledge the gift, but also communicate after some a giving event has taken place about what's happened with that generosity, right? So, you know, one of the things I love about the way Cherry Water works is it's very clear. You give a certain amount. If you give $100 a month, they're going to give clean water to 10 families, right? That connection on impact is really clear. But also off of their website, if you dig deeper, you start to see the stories of, oh, yeah, this is actually happening. And people talking about, yeah, this is actually happening. And I think that we can do that, right? So if we move from kind of the general, thank you for your gift of $5 or $10 or $20, whatever it is, and then stop there, because often that's where we end up with from an acknowledgement perspective, and actually say, thank you for your gift, and then reiterate the impact that that gift is going to have, just like Charity Water does, um, and take advantage of that opportunity to communicate, hey, wait a minute, this isn't just, you know, being thrown over the fence and going to, you know, pay the church's bills, but it's also going to do all of these other things. And I think often we forget to kind of talk about that. One of the other things I always uh, think is a great opportunity to kind of remind how much uh, the churches, the church as a whole has done from a generosity perspective is sending out statements. When you send out statements or annual reports or anything of that, that nature, they always should include multiple ministry impacts with actual numbers. It just can't just be, Hey, wait a minute. You know, we, we, you know, we grew, you know, we grew the church or, you know, we, you know, we grew, you know, we grew this much, but it also needs to talk about the lives and the impact that we've had in the community and, and kind of the, 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 the progress we've made towards the mission. So we, we always want to be telling stories back to our membership about this is what your generosity has enabled. Um, because if we don't, then we, then they lose that connection. Even if we got them to make that connection up front, they'll lose that connection over time because they're not hearing, Hey, wait a minute, this is actually what this is doing. Yeah, I mean, they were inspired to give. And then when they don't get a report on what happened, they might even forget about it. Right. right? But then next time you're going to ask to give it, I think it leaves them with, well, I gave, but what happened to that? Like every time they ask, they ask, they ask, but I don't know what they're doing with it. Exactly. And that's where, the, that's where the trust, I think, begins to diminish. So yeah. you, meant, you mentioned multiple fund options and having been on staff at a church, understanding kind of the resistance to that. Most churches want to have a general fund and have that freedom to use the money as best as they see uh, necessary. And and I understand that to a degree. So how would you answer the concern some churches have that offering different funds would lead people to donating to, let's say, dig wells in Somalia and not give to the general fund? I think the challenge with that is is it's actually, it's it's an example of them wanting to see the direct impact of the gift. So if they want to dig walls in Somalia, here's the challenge. If we don't create an outlet for the things that they're passionate about, that generosity, as they've already shown in their their generosity to faith-based organizations outside the church, they're going to make those gifts. Like those gifts are going to happen. So we can say, hey, yeah, I just want them to give the general fund. So I want to constrict that. But the church often, I don't know many churches who don't, have some form of program that is not necessarily just the general worship service, you know, small group, you know, uh, basic kind of fundamentals. Almost every church I know is active in some form of community outreach or in some form of community care in that they're doing something about taking care of somebody besides 
just kind of worrying about the weekend service. And I think that's where you have an opportunity to create opportunities for people to engage in those ministries directly so that they do feel that they're having an impact on that ministry. But this is also where I think the difference between generosity and stewardship comes in. I think one of the things we often forget, it's on us as church leadership and lay leaders and volunteers to help guide and shepherd those folks through their generosity journey to make them or help them, excuse, not make them, help them understand that what God wants is not only to do those specific things, but to equip the church to do more, right? It's kind of like, yeah, it's great that I can go dig wells in Somalia, but if there was no staff to actually set all that stuff up and conduct that and make sure that everything got done for that, or there was no staff to actually, or facilities for us to actually set up and help, you know, run a, a food bank, it's not going to help that all the money went to the food bank, right? And and that's really kind of a, a spiritual maturity conversation. And, but if we don't have any generosity from those members, we're never going to get to the point where we can have the conversation that says, hey, wait a minute, you know, from a spiritual maturity perspective and a stewardship perspective, you have to equip the organization with more than just the specific ministries because those specific ministries are part of the whole body, yeah. right? And the body doesn't function if, if we don't support both the body and the ministries that the body supports itself. So I think that that's really kind of the challenge is that we often want to take the shortcut of if I just restrict it and take away the choices, then I can get them on track. But if I give them the choices and I follow that up with the stewardship, discipleship that I should be teaching anyways, mm -hmm. I'm going to end up with those people in a much more mature state in which they are giving to the general fund. Even if I don't talk about the specific impacts of the general fund, because they recognize the importance of that, enabling the ministries that the church is doing that they care about. Well, I do hope that you're enjoying this conversation and we're going to come right back to it, but I want to take just a minute to introduce you to one of our ministry partners. CSN's ministry would not be possible without the help of our partners, and frankly, we would want to do it without them. What they offer to churches and church leaders through services, content, and resources that they have is invaluable to building a healthy stewardship ministry and helping their people to become good stewards and generous givers. This episode of the Stewardship Leader Podcast is sponsored by Fellowship Development. Fellowship Development partners with Christian churches, schools, and organizations to inspire believers in building the kingdom through stewardship, fundraising, and development. We customize our planning studies and capital campaigns for your unique church's membership and strategic vision. Building on the Steyer Group's 25 years of inspiring support, we focus on Christian organizations that are ready to build for the future, reduce debt, or create a foundation for programming and services for the community of believers and beyond. We offer individualized, hands-on support with an on-site campaign manager assigned to a single client and full design, grant writing, research, and training services, among others. We are scalable for your individualized needs and offer the most professional talent, all dedicated to the same goal of serving the church alongside our partners. Learn more about us and how we can partner with you at fellowshipdevelopment.com. So 
we, we don't want them to associate, you know, the general fund with paper clips and paying electrical bills and, you know, a big building that sets empty all week. We want them to begin to think about that as terms of kind of the foundation for doing all of the ministries that they're passionate about. And then it's not a either or, it's a both. Yeah, and, and I'm so glad you you said what you said. I mean, you're speaking my love language when you're talking about making stewardship part of this equation, that it's not just proper communication on giving and inspiring generosity. Most people, I think, are generous, they, but they do need to be encouraged to be generous, and they need to be inspired to be generous, and they're also to be given uh, an understanding of what's going to happen once they make that gift, right? The impact right. matters, as we've, as we've discussed. But equally important is that we don't look at our people as just ATM machines. I mean, they are human beings that we want them to trust God fully. We want them to grow in their stewardship and generosity. Then we want them to be seasoned believers who are looking at constantly at building the kingdom. And they'll support their church because that's their, you know, that's their immediate community family, spiritual family. But then as they have the capacity, they can do more. And uh, I, there's a stat that was, I think, done by Barna many, many years ago, came came across uh, that says that people who are debt-free are four times more likely to tithe or give. And if you think about that, somebody that has no debt, right, is going to have more margin. They're going to have the capacity to give more based on just the practical side of money, not even the heart behind it, but Really, just I'm able because I don't have all these bills that I got to pay in debt that's following me around. So it's important for us to understand that stewardship is a part of it. And then, of course, part of that journey as a steward is that generosity is part of that as well. And it's getting people to be invested in the church, as you said, through volunteering, through uh, getting involved in different things that they're doing. The church communicating to the fact that we are doing something every week, every day, something's happening. God's working through this body and the staff's involved in that, but the people don't know what's happening. So that needs to be come back because our desire is that people would be consistently giving and supporting their local church, right? So that the church has the capacity and the resources to do what it's supposed to do. But it seems more difficult uh, to get even the most faithful to set up what we call, you know, in our sphere, reoccurring giving, right? People that just give on a on a paycheck by paycheck cycle, weekly cycle, monthly cycle, whatever it is. And especially in this current economic climate, that seems to be harder and harder to get people to commit to that. So the same people are giving over and over again, but usually it's a one-time via the web, uh, mobile or text, and they're just not committing to that reoccurring giving. Are there things that we can do to make reoccurring giving feel less stressful and given the stressful inflation and economic situation? Are there things that we can do to encourage people to just take that step and just commit to give on a regular basis to their churches. But I think there's, I think there's a couple things. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is, is uh, really kind of communication. So, you know, sometimes we offer recurring giving as a convenience, but we also don't talk about the benefit it is to the organization having that recurring giving or having the confidence that they know what the recurring giving program is going to produce because it often becomes kind of a foundational platform for the church to budget from. Because they actually will look at that and say, oh, yeah, I, I can be confident that we should see this amount of giving because we have recurring givers that have already generously set up those recurring gifts. Um, and it gives us a foundation to kind of plan our budget and our ministries around. Yep. I think one of the other things uh, that would be great is, you know, especially if you can get the senior pastor to do it, is, is, is to talk about that, right? Which is, 
here's what you equip the church, our church, our body to do with your recurring giving. This is what you enable us to do. So it allows us to be far more effective in terms of kind of budgeting and planning for the ministries and the programs that you love the most um, that the church is putting on. And we can't do those programs and ministries if we don't have some solid foundation of understanding what resources it is that we have. And so making that, that recurring gift commitment helps us in a large degree to be more confident about what it is we can and can't do as a church in our ministries. I think the other thing that's important is, is it should be convenient and easy to set up a recurring gift, but just as easy it is to set up a recurring gift, it has to be just as easy to change it, right? Because part of the fear, especially right now with the uncertainty in the economic climate, if I make the recurring gift, how hard is it for me to shut it off, right? Mm -hmm. if, if I have to change it or I have to lower it or I have to pause it or I have to turn it off, how easy is it for me to do that? I mean, I think one of the things, you know, and we uh, worked on this here at Vision 2 earlier this year, which is, you know, granting both the organization and the member the ability to pause a recurring gift. I don't have to delete it. I don't have to even edit it. I don't have to change it. I can just go in and hit the pause button. Um, and that helps because it, you know, it, it literally feels like, hey, wait a minute, I'm actually in control of that recurring gift. It's not something that I've set up where I can't escape it. And it doesn't, it, it makes me feel a little bit more confident that if my personal financial situation changes, I have some ability to kind of uh, pivot on that. I think the other interesting thing, and I've seen this done by a couple of different churches, they'll actually uh, create a specific generosity program around recurring giving and ask people to just even start with something small. It doesn't necessarily have to be all that they're giving, but even starting with something small at a five or a $20 uh, recurring gift can go a long way in actually getting people more comfortable with making a recurring gift to the church and feeling confident that one, that they're also equipping the church. And it's often great for first-time donors. And you can even create programs where you create recognition around that, uh, seeing people do t-shirts around it. There's all kinds of things I think you can do on the communication side. I think one of the other things, you know, that, that you can also take a look at is to take the existing giving that's currently happening and looking at it from a who's giving on a frequent basis and ask them to consider just that select group of people, would they consider converting to recurring? I think that's also one of kind of the opportunities to kind of reach back out to those members that are, are consistently supporting you, but maybe uh, also talk to them about maybe converting what they have been doing on a regular basis to something that is recurring, that one, makes it a little bit easier for them, and two, uh, you know, sets it up on a kind of more formal basis with the church itself. And I think the last thing, and it's something that we're working on to do, is actually um, create an opportunity for people to be, instead of actually having to do a recurring gift where it's automatically coming out, to actually send me a reminder on the frequency basis that I choose mm -hmm. that allows me to quickly just make the gift that I've always been making. Kind of uh, instead of calling it a, and we're not really sure what we're going to call it yet, uh, but instead of calling it, you know, or treating it as a recurring gift, set schedule, set amount, it's much more of kind of a, a reminder process. Mm -hmm. with a whole bunch of convenience clicked on, uh, built into it. So I basically am just clicking on it and it repeats the gift I gave last, whether that's a split gift or not. Um, but it basically just says, hey, this is a, something I want to make on a regular basis, but I'm not quite, quite yet. It's kind of the in-between ground of having a recurring gift or actually continuing to do the kind of one-off gifts. Yeah. I like that because my wife and I give, uh, you know, every time we get paid, we give, we tithe. But I, I have not set up a recurring gift, but but I'm intentional about that because I don't want it to become 
to me a bill. It's not a bill. To me, it's a it's a step of faith that I take every time I get paid. So for me, I want to be involved in that. So I actually go on my, I do text to give and I go on the app. I open it up. I, I have the, the five digit number memorized. So I know what it is. I'll plug it in. And then I'll, I don't always remember the amount because I get, you know, I get salary. So I know it's exactly the same. So I'll just kind of scroll through and see it. But I think it'd be, it'd be great to, you know, if I can set it up because I know I get paid on certain days of the month. If I can just set it up to remind me, because there are times when I get paid and I don't remember right away. I, you know, right. it's a day or two days later. And it's like, I don't want to, I want to think about it, but it, I don't always, right? We get busy. So it would be a great reminder that I have set up to say, hey, on the 5th or the 15th or the 20th or whatever the date is, remind me that I have to tithe. You know, not that I have to, that I should or want to. Not that you have to, but that you want to, right? It's kind of one yeah. of those things where you don't set up the reminder unless you want to. I think, yeah. but you know, the other thing that, you know, that we were looking at and kind of one of the things that I think uh, is a struggle is for those people, there's a lot of people that are actually in what I, you know, what gets classified as the gig economy, right? Mm-hmm. You're not on a fixed salary, right? right. You're, right. you're on, you're not even on a fixed hourly, right? You're right. kind of on a, if you're an Uber driver, you know, you could have a great week, you could have a bad week. Right. You know, there's a lot of things that are variable in your income or if you're a contractor. Right. Even if you're an IT contractor, it could be, hey, I've got a contract for these three weeks or I don't have a contract. And I think creating the capability to, you know, for people to actually be reminded, but not necessarily committed is kind of that nice middle ground where I don't feel like I've, oh, my gosh, I got to forget. You know, I forgot I can't do this this month or this week because something happened you know, but still allows me to kind of make a faith commitment to my church that I'm, you know, that I'm uh, very interested in continuing to support them. So we're trying to, it was one of the, it's one of the things that we think uh, will help kind of create a little bit of a middle ground um, that one kind of address a little bit, some of the uncertainty, but also address, there's a whole bunch of people that just aren't in that. I've got, I know what my flat income is and it comes on a regular basis. And I feel pretty confident about, you know, kind of making a stewardship decision right here and now that I can do this for the next year. Yeah. Yeah. There are churches and denominations that do that anyway, right? You make a pledge to give X amount for yeah. the next 12 months. So it wouldn't be out of, out of character. Um, all right. So let's, let's kind of circle back to impact again and messaging uh, on impact, because as we talked about, especially for the millennial generation, this is really important. So what channels do you recommend churches use for impact messaging? Well, based on what we know about the way people typically think about, uh, you know, engaging from a generosity perspective, we know a lot of it is just pure digital, right? And there's a good 60% of the entire philanthropic market that functions entirely on what is available off of your website or your mobile apps. And so, you know, I think, you know, figuring out a way to deliver not just the opportunity to give in those channels, because I think there's too much focus on the technology side, right? Do you have a mobile app? Do you have text to give? Do you have this? And that's great. Yes, those are all important channels and capabilities to have from a technology perspective. But if we're not talking about the stories of what it is we've done, the impact that we've had, what the impact of generosity, the previous generosity has had, and do that not only with just text, um, but it, I mean, ideally it should be video. I think one of the things that makes the Charity Water site so powerful is it's video. You know, they just connect with people. And so video and stories and context, you know, I think we need to surround the generosity story with a lot more context than we typically have. And I think one of the things that's very distracting, and I've seen it with a lot of churches' websites, is we're very focused on, like, here are the 15 different ways you can give. 
right? Mm-hmm. But if I'm already on your website, I've already decided, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. one of those things I've already connected with you on your web. Why are you trying to send me off over here? Right. Like I'm here, let's, let's, let's complete the gift. And, 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 you know, in the secular world, we call that a funnel, right? I have a conversion funnel. I've already got you on the webpage. I need to finish the process of getting you through the generosity story. Yep. And often we'll focus too much on the, you could give crypto, you could give stock, you could do this. Those are important. And if I want to explore and find those, you need to give me those opportunities. But if I'm there on the page, the first thing you should be leading with is the stories about what generosity is doing and then follow up with, uh, and if you don't want to give on the web, here's the other ways you can give, mm-hmm. right? And that's the way we should be looking at it. And I think in a lot of ways we end up doing the, let me show you all the different ways you can give because we're thinking, oh, well, I need to match the channel with the way that their preference. That's the last thing we do. The first thing we should be leading with is the story. And I think that starts with, you know, kind of one with that giving page. Often we'll see a lot of giving pages and, you know, we're always trying to work with clients to change it, but they'll lead with like a whole bunch of like, here are all the technical ways you can actually give a gift to the church. And it's like, wait a minute, like we put the, we put the act of the act of the transaction ahead of the why yes. we're actually wanting to give to the church in the first place. We got to, we, we should be lifting that up. You know, the technical aspect is after I've made the decision. Oh yeah, I'm ready right mm-hmm. and then by the way you should try and give them the one that's the easiest from right where they are as the next step right and so give them the simple ones and then if they need the complex ones they'll they'll, they'll come ask that if they want to do you know the, the really complex ways and, and then you know after you get that giving page right it, to me it's the what did you do with your acknowledgments right you know what are you doing in your emails that you're talking about generosity and stewardship and you know, how are you talking about uh, about it on the weekends? You know, what do you do? You do any print materials? If you think back to the way that we typically would look at marketing and how many times you have to hit somebody with a message for them to even kind of remember the message happens, we know it's a, at least seven times we have to mm-hmm. get them with the message. So anytime we can put the message in front of them, we need to. And I think, again, I, I, I love video. I love text. Digital by far is the most important channel because that is the most frequent channel that our members are using, uh, especially when they're making generosity decisions. I mean, millennials will often explore your website before they even get it. So if you have nothing on your website about what you're doing from a generosity perspective, they're immediately going to go, well, I could go over to this you know, faith-based organization that's still Christian, but they're doing this and they're very clear about what this is. And, you know, we've got mealy mouth of, well, if you, you know, want to write us a check or, you you know, and, and then at the bottom you go and you're giving, we'll do this. You know, it's yeah. kind of, we, we often, we often lead with the, with the channel and not, not often, not often enough with the story. Yeah. It's so true. You know, a, the, a vision came to mind, you know, when you buy something from online, let's say you buy something from Amazon, which I think anybody can listening is probably can, can attest to this. We look at the product, we look at the description, we make sure it fits what we're, we're in need of, we look at the reviews. So we're looking, is this what I want to buy? Right. And, and then down below that, you can choose the price, <laughs> yeah. right? Exactly. The, price, the price is in first and your credit card information is in first. That's right. The item is first, the impact of that's going to have when you buy it. Well, it's funny. I mean, when you think about it, the only place where you go straight to the mechanism of payment is when you're paying your bills. <laughs> Yeah, like, exactly. exactly. And, and, and we wonder why people feel disconnected about that experience. It's like, well, we kind of unintentionally, I don't think it's ever intentional. No, I think it's just the mechanics of like, oh, wait, I got to put this on the website because they may ask this question. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. 
All right. So as we kind of wrap this up, and I really enjoyed this conversation, I think there's been a lot of great content, a lot of nuggets I hope people have benefited from. But ultimately, do you agree that doing all economic environments, whether they're good or bad, the conversations about giving should always be framed through the lens of stewardship? Do you believe that? Absolutely. There's no question. I mean, if anything, the answer is, is yes, it's always through the, 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 the lens of stewardship. We should always be talking about it. That, But the other thing is, is it gets more important in economic uncertainty, not less. Mm -hmm. It's more important to talk yeah. about stewardship in that process. And it's one of the reasons why I love what you do, Leo, and, and you know, continue to want to be you know, uh, the best partner that we can be and support all of the work that you're doing. We provide software. And at the end of the day, it's the message, it's the teaching, it's the discipleship, it's the work that the ministries are doing that actually makes it all go. You know, our job is just to provide the tools to try and make that easy. But no, stewardship in, uh, is absolutely 100% the center of the entire conversation. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you. We definitely agree to that. Uh, that's something we both agree on, and both organizations are are focused on helping churches really, really understand that. Uh, and that's a great kind of segue to end is really talk about uh, the resources that you guys have where you can help the church. Uh, and I know they can go to vision2.com and find everything that you guys do and really work with an amazing team uh, that can help uh, set up not just the giving, but the communication, everything that comes with it. You guys do such an awesome job. Also for CSN, check out our website, uh, christianstewardshipnetwork.com. We have a lot of resources. And one I want to really mention, one that we, we're collaborating on together, and that's a survey. This is our second annual survey that we've done. It's called the Annual Stewardship Survey. And it's been out for a few weeks, and it's going to close on August 4th. So if you're listening to this today, um, you'll have a, a few more days to do this. Um, so we just encourage you, go to vision2.com, and right on their homepage, you'll find the survey. We really encourage you to click on that link and do the survey. It'll take you four to five minutes. It's just a few questions. And really what we want to do is understand what's happening in the church with giving, with stewardship. And then what we do is we take that information and we gather all of the, the kind of the stats that come with that. And then we report back to you guys. We'll have that uh, as a webinar so that we can share what's really happening. And then also we'll make some recommendation. We'll probably do another podcast a little later after the webinar to really say, okay, here's what we've learned. Here's some suggestion that we have. We did this last year. You can find that information on vision2.com as well so that you can understand what happened last year. But if you would be part of that, we really would would love to get your input. Uh, the more churches, more leaders we get involved in, in the survey, uh, the more robust the information and more helpful it'll be. So we'd love for you to, to be part of that. Carl, any last words before we close up? No, uh, just please participate. It's a, it's a great resource and uh, it just kind of helps us all to get better at trying to figure out how we can better equip all of you. So please participate. Awesome. Thank you. All right. And for all of you that you've listened, thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We really do hope that it's been helpful for you, that what we shared has inspired you to look at giving and stewardship a little bit differently and maybe make some changes. If you need some help, Vision 2 is there to support you through that journey. And if you just want to just talk to them and find out what you can do things better, uh, listen, they are amazing people. They will they will just help you in any way they can. I also want to mention another event that's coming up uh, for us at CSN. It's called the Virtual Forum. Our Virtual Forum is September 13. We would love for you to be part of that. We're going to have a one day. It starts at 10, goes until about four o'clock. So it's about six hours worth of content, multiple sessions. Leaders throughout the U.S. that are part of our network will be touching on different aspects of stewardship and generosity. I think you'll really benefit from 
We'd love to have you be part of that. You can find out more about that on our homepage at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Thanks again for being with us. So enjoyed bringing this content to you. If we can serve you in any way, let us know. We'll see you next time on Stewardship Leader.